0: Uh, but hey, we are in Mark one. We're in John thirteen. Um, let me kind of remind you of what we're doing, what we're discussing today. We are in part three of three of our discipleship pathway series. It's even weird to call it that because this is really more of our our heartbeat for our church, the DNA of discipleship for our church. We want to kind of slow down and be like, what does it mean to make a disciple? How do we make a disciple? How do you know when someone is truly following Jesus and in the place where they now can help others follow Jesus? How do we make disciples who make disciples? And we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. This is the third and final week. And again, this isn't like a a series necessarily as much as like we want, we're praying that this is the DNA and heart of our church, that we will be with Jesus, that we will learn from Jesus. And today we're going to talk about that we would do what Jesus did. So be with him, learn from him, do what he did. And that is really our, our hope and our priority in this, that first and foremost, everyone here would just spend time with Jesus, that it does not matter what you do for him if you don't know him. that we just want you to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, enjoy Jesus. And that as we, we come under Him, as we study the Bible, as we get in community, as we learn different things on life or practice or formation, different things we want to talk about as a church, our hope is that we don't just learn them intellectually but that would be transformed by them. I always love talking to like eager and young, zealous you know, Bible seminary students. It's, it's awesome. But what it can happen sometimes is that you get this desire and this hunger for information and for deep and rich theology, but very little application and, and very little just being just infused with your life. And we want to learn for the, not the sake of information, but transformation. And then lastly, we want to do what Jesus did. So if you would, I hope you brought this back week after week, or if not, you can actually right now, if you're watching at home or you're here with us, you can take out your phone. You can go to our website, theexchangechurch.cc slash discipleship-pathway, and you can find this there online. So know that that will be there. There should be a link online, hopefully, just so you can see that. If you turn to the first page, again, this is not like a necessarily step one, step two, step three. We want this to be intertwined with each other, but there is a side of this where just be with him, learn from him, do what he did that we might do some of this all at once. There might be a season where please don't serve and just come and be, and just come and learn and come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And then for many of us, it's like, hey, you've had a lot of coming and being. You've been a part of the community for a while now. Come and and do. Come and serve. Come and go. And we want to kind of create that culture and atmosphere. So we're going to be looking at uh, this topic, and, and we'll get to page 13 and on uh, at the end of service today, talk about what this will look like for us, but we just want you to kind of see that here and now. So really quick, uh, what are those, I guess, the three paths to following Jesus? Number one is, okay, let's try this. We're gonna do this. We're, we're gonna do it. I know we can. Number one is be with Jesus. Whew. Number two is, and number three is, I really hope and pray that this is something that, again, will be just a part of our lives. Now, let me say this, it's easy for me to teach on, be with Jesus and learn from Jesus. And it's easy for you to come and hear that. This is where it gets difficult. This is where a lot of people are like, do what Jesus did. I love the theory of that. I love, I agree with that, but actually putting this into practice, this is where it gets tough. In many ways, I want to be like, do what Jesus did. Have a great Sunday. God bless you guys. Like in many ways, I want to do that, but I want to talk about how to do this and what was the heart posture of Jesus in this and why why do we want to do this and so we're going to kind of look at the way Jesus did ministry we'll look at the way Jesus loved people the way Jesus served people the way Jesus listened and loved his enemies the way that Jesus sat with people and ate with people the way that Jesus would send raise up his disciples ultimately to send them not just to have this in-house christian community where it's just all christian everything but like to let's go let's go out like yes let's bring people in but let's go out Let's make disciples of all nations. So we're hoping that this is just more than, again, just information or verses we've heard before, but that the Holy Spirit would take this and just really infuse it into our lives and our hearts. So I want to read, there's so many passages we're going to cover today. In Reactive Side, we always cover a lot of Bible. I know, there's a lot of Bible, um, but there's going to be a lot of Bible today. And I want to go back to the origin in Mark 1, when Jesus first called out the disciples. And I want to go back to Jesus' intent and what he says, this is what I want to do in you. This is what you will become. So let's read Mark chapter 1. We're going to read it, then we'll pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. We're going to read that and just pray and give this time to the Lord. Mark 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. What I want to talk about today is that part, that Jesus' goal, Jesus' desire, this new identity he gave them, saying, you will become fishers of men. He saved them so he could send them. He saved them so they could also be a part of this rescue mission, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, and he invites them and he invites us into the same rescue mission. So I just want to pray. I want to ask that the Lord moves and speaks. And that this would not just be something where we hear the word and immediately leave and forget, but that we truly be doers. So why don't we do this? Why don't you bow your heads? Why don't you pray too? I do like to give some time for just the Lord to speak and move to you guys. So take a second and just say, Lord, speak to me today. Give me ears to hear and help me do your word. Why don't you just pray a simple prayer like that? I'm going to be quiet. Give you a few seconds and I'll pray over service as well. Bow your heads, pray that prayer. Father, I just ask that this morning you would accomplish your will, your purpose in our lives. That Jesus, you would give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness for you. That there would be a deep urgency and desire to partner with you, to join you, to to help make disciples. That we would, God, um, not just wait for people to approach us, but that we would go to them. That, Lord, that we would just go to the places that maybe other Christians aren't willing to go to, to seek and to save that which is lost. And Jesus, we thank you for all the verses, all the stories, all the parables that you give us, that you are willing to leave the 99 for the one, for the sake of their soul, for the sake of their salvation, for the sake of them being with you and knowing you. And, and, and God, we just ask that you'd create that same burden within us, that this would not be um, old news to us, but good news, that Jesus, would be fresh news to us, that we would truly be doers of your word and not hearers only. I pray that for myself, my family, our church community. God, that you would just accomplish what it is you want to do. That, Jesus, we would not play games here. That we'd be just passionate about seeing this world know you and follow you. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I want you guys to imagine with me for a second and just daydream with me. What, what would it really look like? What would it actually look like? to see followers of Jesus take his word serious and actually do what he did? Like, what would it look like if every individual here and collectively, and not just this church's, but all the churches in South, like, what would it look like if everyone just said, we're going to hear Jesus' word and apply it? What if we took simply the Sermon on the Mount and we said, you know what, we're going to actually do what he said. So we're going to actually store up treasure in heaven and live for eternal things. We're actually going to bless those who curse us and pray for those who use us. We're going to forgive our enemies. We're actually going to give and give in secret. Give not to be seen by men. Not to give with some intent, but to freely give as we freely received. I mean, could you imagine what it looked like if we had a group of people who were anxious for nothing but all things prayer and did not worry about their life? Because what, what, what value does worry add? Could you imagine just a group of people who are desperately just committed to the teachings of Jesus and seeking that happen here in South Florida as it is in heaven? Like, what if we saw God's will done on earth through the church, the body of Christ? What I'm really getting at is what if the church was actually the church? What if we really saw the church do what Jesus commands us to do? Honestly, simply put, I just think we'd see revival. I think we'd see relationships restored. I think we'd see a passion and hunger for just big things, eternal things, that we'd see people who are far from God, people who maybe were at one point in time connected to church, became bitter at church, left the church, were frustrated by the church, would begin to fall in love with Jesus and experience the healing power and healing touch of Jesus. I think that we see some marriages restored. I just think we'd see so much, God would do so much. You know, I love when one person, I shared this before, they, they talked about revival. Revi- think about what, what is revival? Revival is basically taking the things we always do and just God heightening that experience. So meaning we know we should pray, we know we should read, we know we should fast, we know we should serve, we know we should give, but imagine we just do this in a way where it's like we can't wait to pray and serve and give. There's excitement about coming around God's word, there's excitement about coming to church early and worshiping and singing and checking in on people and loving on people. Like It's taking all the disciplines God has given us already, but it's heightening that experience that God would just really make us more aware of those daily things that we just cannot wait to do them and be a part of them. And I I just think, God, what would this look like? You know, um, this does take effort. This does take us to be very intentional. One uh, guy I've quoted before, Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. I love that. It's not opposed to effort. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. We get it. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. But grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to the mindset of, I need to earn this. We don't need to earn anything. Uh, Dallas Willard would go on to say, he wrote a book called The Great Omission, kind of talking about the Great Commission and saying how we like the great omission. We've missed it. We've missed the great commission. We've missed the mark. And he said this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him, how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. He said the biggest issue is how do we move from I'm a Christian to now I'm a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, that I'm going to seek God's will uh, to be done on earth as is in heaven. I'm going to be a bringer of the kingdom to earth. He goes, "This this is where we need to be. To go from not like I just attend church here and there and it's an event I, I, I kindly go to or I occasionally go to and I kind of agree with, but like I am all in, man. Like I am fully and all in. So here's my hope for us today. It's really hard to do teaching on like do the work, do what Jesus did. It's kind of hard. Because again, I just want to be like, hey, guys, do what Jesus did. We're good? Okay, be, peace out, go. But I can't really do that. Um, there, there's more like what, what did Jesus do and how did he do it? And so the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made things really clear for everyone. He made it really clear for me that Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever preached in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, by saying this. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them, just everyone say, does them, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's everyone who hears these words and does them, or one translation says, and puts them into practice, who does them, you're the wise man. He actually goes on to say, and if you don't do them, you're the fool who built your house on the sand. So there's this expectation from Jesus that those who truly believe in him will actually hear what he says and do it. And so that's what we want to do today. So here's what we're going to look at and talk about today. Four thoughts, four points um, that I want to kind of deconstruct when it comes to how did Jesus do do this? What did he do exactly? How do we join him in this mission to seek and to save that which is lost? And so here's kind of four big thoughts. We're going to look at, number one, this. Jesus' pattern, Jesus' pattern of discipleship. We're going to look at Jesus' posture, Jesus' promise and we're gonna look at Jesus' plan. All right? Jesus' pattern, posture, promise, plan. What is Jesus' pattern of discipleship? Here's the pattern. And, and we read it in Mark 1, and we see this throughout the Gospels. He simply goes up to people and says, hey, follow me. Follow me. We'll put the verses up, but over and over again. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. He constantly just invites people into this relationship with him. Follow me. Be with me. Know me. And then we'll see him basically say, now go. Jesus a lot of times would give parables and say, And go and do likewise, like go do the same thing. Uh, Jesus would invite people to be with him, to take on his lifestyle, his rhythms, his habits, the way he loved, the way he served, and then he would send them out. You know, a lot of different leadership books, not even just Christian leadership books, but a lot of different leadership books talk about uh, what is it like to raise someone up or to apprentice someone or to have someone kind of be built up in leadership. And they give a simple model that they basically stole from Jesus, which is, uh, I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, you do, I watch. And then really lastly is you do, someone else watches. Think about this model that we'll see in the business realm and in, in the discipleship realm. Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna do this, you're gonna watch. I'm gonna do this, you're gonna help. You're gonna do it now, but I'll help you. You're gonna do it, I'm just gonna watch. You know, a lot of times that he would send the disciples out and they'd actually have like a ministry debrief. He'd be like, so tell me about it. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. We cast out demons, we healed people, like it's incredible. He's like, ah, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Like, and I love that he would like debrief with them. I mean, this is really the pattern Jesus left us of be with him, learn from him, and then he'd send them, go and do likewise, go and be a part of this. Uh, it's in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. We read this the first week, but I didn't focus on this last half intentionally. So I want to reread this verse to you. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says, then Jesus appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Jesus says, I, I'm calling you to be with me ultimately to send you. And if you, if you notice this, he's like, you're going to do what I did. You're going to preach. You're going you're to cast out demons. You're going to heal. You're going to do the things I've done. And I want to talk about this. Like, how do we do what Jesus did? I mean, how do we truly engage with this mission of Jesus to bring healing, to bring justice, to bring peace? to bring, to just to bring Jesus's mission, God's will, again, done on earth as is in heaven. So how do we join him in that? And listen, there is a pattern to this. And by no means do I want anyone who's brand new to the church to come in, in here and hear it today saying, go, do, do, do. I don't want anyone to hear that because I really want you to make sure you've heard, this, heard those first two weeks, which is be with Jesus and just simply sit at his feet and learn from him and take in. You know, i talk talked to a lot of young people who are very eager and zealous to do big things for God, but I'm like, first, you need to just learn the way of Jesus like deconstruct some thoughts you have, process that with the Lord, you know, sit at his feet a little bit while longer and, and there'll be a time where he sends you out. And he had three years of intentional ministry with the disciples and we want to be incredibly intentional. We want to be incredibly intentional with how we do this. We don't want to send people out and then maybe they do more harm than good because we didn't maybe effectively train or effectively show them how to, to you know, calm a moment down and bring love versus fear. We want to make sure we do this well. And so so this is our hope in this process. So here in Mark 1, and I just want to remind you of the, the end goal, the end game of Jesus. Here in Mark 1, when Jesus was with the disciples, this is what he said. Mark chapter 1, again, verse 17, he said, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, if you grew up in the church at all, that kind of sounds like so cute, like Sunday school. Like, oh, isn't that so cute how Jesus did a little play on words there? I'll make you fishers of men. All right, I, I do think this is really interesting what he did. Imagine if Jesus was talking to, like, bankers. And, and he would, I think he would just specify what he was saying. Like, he knew his audience. He knew that the disciples were truly fishermen. But he's think, if he's speaking to bankers, he'd say, listen, bankers, I'll show you what true investment is. Follow me. If he was, like, speaking to writers, hey, writers, you want to know the greatest story? I'm going to show you the greatest story ever told. I'm going to show you the greatest story ever written. Just follow me. Jesus kind of speaks their language and he invites them into this new work and this new identity. And I, I, wanna, I want us all to get this. This is the goal, that we can't just come and just be with him and learn and never do what he did. Jesus even said, he gave so many different parables of this because you want to know who my mother and my brothers are? Do you want to know who those are? Those who hear the word of God and do it. He was constantly putting emphasis now on like, let's go and do. And so that's, that's our hope in this, is to, to do this. Even this phrase of, I will make you become fishers of men, Know this, you guys. It is a process. That does not happen overnight. And I get that all of us are at a different place in our spiritual journey, but it's a process. It's a process where Jesus says, I want to work some things out in your life. You will become fishers of men. It's not necessarily yet. But this will be your new identity. And notice their work is based off of their identity. Like you will go say that you are fishers of men. You'll become fishers of men. With this new identity will come some new work, some new things to do. You know, uh, in just Jewish or Semitic thought, there was this idea of uh, pulling people out of the waters of abyss, kind of pulling people out of the waters of judgment. And here's what one author said. His name is Ben Witherington. He said this, uh, In Semitic thought, waters, particularly the chaos waters, is seen as the enemy of God. In the background of Jesus' picture of fishers of men, it is necessary to see that the waters are the underworld, the place of sin and death, to fish out a man means to rescue him from the kingdoms of darkness out of the, the sphere, which is hostile to God and remote from God. This idea that, hey, we're going to call you out of, you know, you're going to save people from this waters of chaos and darkness. That you're going to be a part of joining God in this mission to reach those who are far from him. He's like, I'm inviting you into this. You know, John Wesley would say it this way. He says, you only have one business on earth to save souls. That's it. We only have one business on earth to save souls. We know that later, G- Peter, who became the, the great apostle, Peter would one day in the book of Acts lead 3,000 people to Jesus and literally became a fisher of men. Like, this would be fulfilled. That one person who was, at one point, just that guy who said the dumb thing at the wrong, the wrong thing at the wrong time, he kind of had that foot-and-mouth syndrome, would be, later be the guy who would be used to just start the church. He'd be that pillar that Jesus talked about, that rock that, that Jesus talked about. And we know that this is the God's intent is saying, listen, I didn't just save you so you could sit down, I saved you so you could I could send you. I saved you so you could be a part of joining me in this mission, to help catch people who are far from me. You know, God's obviously we know that God's heart is willing that none should perish, that all should come to repentance, that all should know and taste and see that the Lord is good. That God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Therefore He says, Turn and live. You know, I think sometimes we have this idea that God is in heaven and kind of distant and not not caring and kind of like, well, if they believe, they believe. And if they don't, they don't. When yet we see a God who just is pleading with those to be reconciled to him. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, if God were pleading on our behalf, be reconciled to God. There's this imagery of God on his knees, begging people, repent, like be right with me, believe on me, trust in me. We have this picture of God who says, I will go to the ends of the earth to capture you, to save you, to pull you out of darkness into my marvelous light. we got to see that we have a God who cares deeply. And there is this pattern with Jesus where he says, come and be with me, learn from me, and I'm going to send you out. And you're going to storm the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. But I'm not just saving you so you can come and sit. I'm saving you so you'll ultimately be sent. Guys, we are a sent people. Amen? We are sent. God has called us to South Florida, to our neighbors, to our family, wherever you're placed, that is where God has called us to go. And we're part of this mission with Jesus. So we see Jesus's pattern of being with and then sending. Now we we'll to look at Jesus's posture, the way he did this, Jesus's posture. And here's what I mean by that. Je- the way Jesus loved and served, his posture was so different. It was so different from any other leader any other different official leader. Jesus's posture was one of humility and servanthood. It was one of love. I think the greatest way we see this summarized is in John 13. So would you turn me to John 13? This story or this example Jesus left us uh, perfectly exemplifies this. John 13, we see Jesus's posture when it comes to go and do. How did Jesus tell us to to do things? He shows us here in John thirteen. So John thirteen, here's let me kind of set the scene a little bit. Uh, It's the night of Passover. It's the night before Jesus taken to be crucified. He's going to be taken this night, but it's the night before he's going to be crucified. So this is his last final hours with the disciples. And it's in John chapter 13. Let's read verse four. It says, And Jesus he rose from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was girded. Then he said to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So then Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love Peter. Uh, Then Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, You are not all clean. So, we'll actually, stop there before eat verse twelve. Um, I, I love this story. I love this imagery. I actually read this to my my son. Loves this story in his like little gospel Bible. It's called Jesus washes stinky feet. And he's like, tell me the stinky feet story. He loves this one. So we, re- we read this story all the time. And actually, I was like, Mikey, I was explaining this story to him. I'm like, Mikey, would you actually like it if I washed your feet? He's like, I would love that. So I'm like, okay. So actually, like, I think Monday. Uh, I got a, my my wife reminded me because he's about to go to bed, and she's like, you gotta wash his feet. He's like, asking to oh, go yeah. So I get like a little bowl ready, and I'm like, put soap in it, and he goes outside, and he just ate it up. You could see in his face, like Dad's washing my feet. I don't know. He just, like, loved it. It was so funny to see, like, how much pride he took. I'm like, haha, I washed every toe. So, I'm washing his feet, and I'm, like, wiping it down, and, you know, I was, like, I was just trying to tell him about what, what Jesus was doing, and why he did this, and why I'm doing this right now. We want to be an example. We want to do what Jesus did. I'm, I'm talking to this with him, and as soon as I'm done, I'm like, dude, I think your feet are all clean. You're good. He goes, dad, now wash all of me, <laughs> and I go, are you saying that because Peter said that? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to wash all of you. Like, no. And I just said him off. But I just, I love this story. I love the heart. I love the intent behind it. Jesus is like, listen, I'm going to do something you're not going to understand right now, but you will understand. And in verse 12, and this is really the climax, the summary, the point of why he did this. Let's read verse 12. It says, so when he had washed their feet, he'd taken his garments and sat down again and, and said to them, Do you not know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice the way the story begins. Jesus girds himself. He takes on the form of a servant. That's the idea. He literally clothes himself as a slave. He puts his towel around his waist. He, he took on the job of the, the servant, the job of the slave at that home, essentially. And he goes, I'm going to take on this, this form and show you what it's like to serve. Jesus already did this when he left heaven. Jesus wrapped himself or clothed himself with humanity. We're told that in Philippians 2, that he clothed himself with humanity, clothed himself. He already showed us what it's like to serve and take on humility. But he goes, now let me just take on this position. I whom your teacher, I whom your master, I'm going to show you that a a servant is not greater than his master. If I've done this to you, you must do this for others. And there is this beautiful picture of what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a disciple, that we're going to take this posture of humility. We're going to take a posture of servanthood that you will never be a leader at our church, or I hope any church, if you don't take on a posture of servanthood, that this must be in the way in which we lead with this this grace, this humility, that he'd even wash the feet of the one who was going to betray him, that Jesus is washing Judas' feet. This crazy sort of love, this crazy sort of humility that goes beyond my understanding, knowing what was just about to happen in a few hours, knowing he's about to be crucified, and he's going, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how to live I'm going to leave an example for you. I mean, just listen to these phrases again of how he put it. He says, you should do as I have done to you. The last verse we read was, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. The blessing comes not from knowing this, but from doing this. The blessing doesn't come from even agreeing with this, but from doing it. He goes, you're blessed if you do it. Do you not get what I'm doing See, when I talk about do what Jesus did, what really matters in all of this is the motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? What matters is our heart posture in this, that I want to do what Jesus did. He showed us how to love and serve faithfully and, and just gracefully. You know, Peter, or James would go on to write, and we know this verse very well in James 1, He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest deceiving yourselves. Be, be doers, not hearers. It's funny, you talk to people about this, and they're like, oh, I can tell you what doer means in Greek. It's like, do you not get it? Like, it doesn't matter what it means in Greek. Just do it. Just do it. Sometimes we try to understand this or break this down so many ways, but it's like the heart of God is saying just do it. Be doers, not here. Don't deceive yourselves. Again, we live in South Florida, man. There's some phenomenal Bible teaching. I think there's such a beautiful emphasis on grace and things like that we should emphasize. But what can happen sometimes, I think, in the culture, maybe you grew up in or I grew up in or where we're at right now, is that we might miss the mark of like, we agree, we love, we have good theology, good podcasts, good everything, and yet we just don't actually take it and apply it and do it. And I think the heart of God for us is saying, listen, there's a blessing when it comes to doing this. If you want to experience the blessing, it's not just knowing the word or agreeing with the word, but doing the word. So here's my my hope. Um, If God has put something in your heart, I would encourage you to do it. If recently God has put on your heart to wake up early and to pray, to spend time with him, I mean, set your alarm early if God has put it in your heart to bless someone in your small group, in your community, in your neighborhood, to go out and do something for them, I would would do it. I would not wait. I would not put that off. God has called you to serve or to give in some capacity. I would not say when it's more convenient. I, I would really say there's a blessing when it comes to doing it. The church, and I'm guilty of this. I can be guilty of just really going, I agree with the Bible. I so agree with what Jesus said here, but do I do it? It's not just about agreeing with the Bible. Anyone can agree. A lot of people don't but anyone can agree with it. But eventually there comes a point in time where you say, okay, now now there's a blessing in doing it. Like be doer. Don't deceive yourself into thinking just because you agree you're actually doing. Don't deceive yourself into thinking just because you hear the word means you're doing it. Hey, there's a blessing when it comes to doing, church. Amen? To take on the heart of this, this posture of servanthood, of love, of just let me have this mind of Christ, you know, who in the you know, form of godliness did not consider it robbery to be equal with God and made himself lower, like that he took on humility. We want to have that same mindset. Now, I do want to share a story. I was reading through Jeremiah, and this is just an interesting story. I just found really interesting. Jeremiah... Poor guy had just a really tough ministry. I mean, the guy was like beaten up. No one ever repented. He had a really hard ministry. Eventually, he's not even allowed to go to the house of the Lord. He's not allowed to go to the temple. He's not allowed to preach. He's not allowed to prophesy. So he goes to this guy named Barak. Barak was kind of like his right-hand guy. He's like, Barak, God has given me a word. And maybe if the people listen to it, and if they repent, maybe God will also show just like forgiveness. And there won't be judgment from the Babylonians. Maybe he'll spare us, but they need to repent. So he's like, I have a word for you. Can you write down this word? So Barak writes down the word. And I want to read this story to. It's Jeremiah 36, verse 10. So Barak takes what Jeremiah's prophecy is in Jeremiah 36, 10. And it says, then in the hearing of all the people, Barak read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord. And verse 16, it says, when they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear. And they said, Barak, we must report all these words to the king. Like they, they heard, they agreed. They said, we better tell the king what you're saying. Okay. Verse 23, they're telling the king as these great names, by the way, Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire, in the fire pot, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when El Nathan and Del- Delia and Girmira, all these great names again, urged the king not to burn the scrolls, he would not listen to them. So here's Jeremiah giving this word from God. And the people in the temple are going, this is, this is powerful. This is from God. We need to tell the king this. They go and tell the king, he takes a knife, and he's just cutting the word of God up, and he's throwing it into the fire. And again, we might not literally do that. Some people might. But we not, might not literally cut the word of God or throw it into the fire, but you think of just that mindset. You think of just that heart of, I know the word of God. It's, it's true. The people are moved by it, but I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. I'm going to throw it into the fire. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to cut it into pieces. Because there's a warning for us. There's something beautiful in this where you say, we can't just be hearers. We can't just agree. We can't just tear it up and act like it doesn't exist. We can't just pretend that God didn't say this. There must be some sort of wrestle and embrace this posture of, okay, Jesus, you said this. I believe it. I must do it. It's not enough just to agree, church. Amen? We must be doers. Amen? It's not just to agree. It's funny. I, I was wasn't planning on trying to use this, but it's kind of funny. Uh, my, my son this morning, there was like a rainbow shining into the kitchen, and uh, it was like on his foot. He's like, Dad, there's a rainbow on my foot. I'm like, dude, can you feel it? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're lying. He's like, I'm like, but there's a rainbow on me. And I, I just said like, you know, and I kind of asked, but kind of said to do it, sort of. I was like, taste the rainbow. You know, I was just trying to quote like Skittles, be stupid. And he gets on his knees and, and licks the ground. It was at he licks the rainbow. Absolutely disgusting. I'm like, did you taste it? He's like, no. I'm like, dude, I didn't mean taste it. Like taste it. I just meant like, you know, skittles. He's like, I don't know what skittles are. It's just, you know, it's one of those moments. Where I'm like, wow, my son actually. Like, the one time he obeys is when to lick the ground. I don't know. I'm trying to work on that. Um, but I love the heart posture of just dad said to taste the rainbow. I'm gonna taste the rainbow. There's just this beautiful like childlike hope. I think with us saying if God says it, I want to do it. It's not enough just to agree with it. Let us be a part of it. Amen. Number three is this. Jesus' promise. There's a promise to this. Let me just say this. When it comes to go and do what Jesus did, it's not just, hey, go and good luck. It's not like, hey, just go and do what I said and man, I hope it works out. There's a promise attached to Jesus sending us. So when Jesus sends us, there's a promise to this. And here's some of the promises I try to break down. There's the promise of the Spirit, the promise of greater, and then there's the promise of Jesus's presence. And just stay with me. The promise of the Spirit. That Jesus isn't like, go and make disciples and it's gonna be really hard, you yeah, guys. It's, like, it's gonna be really hard and good luck. But he says, listen, and I'm going to send you the helper. It's John 16. Let me read the verses. John uh, chapter 16 or 14 first. He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the Lord cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Here is this promise from Jesus that as soon as I leave, I'm sending you the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. This word helper in John 14, this word in John 16, he's using this word parakletos, and it's this idea of the one who comes alongside and helps. It's an advocate, an intercessor, the one who's always with us. He goes, he's with you and he will be in you. And John 16, 7 is the verse where I read, and I struggle with this verse, man. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your benefit that I go away. Because if I go away, then I'll be with my Father and we'll send you the helper. We'll send you the Holy Spirit to be with you. A lot of different people have written about this and going, I I can't really fathom this. I mean, honestly, that question of, would you rather have Jesus beside us or the Holy Spirit within us? And we might struggle with that answer. Jesus makes it clear. The Holy Spirit within us is greater than Jesus beside us. I mean, that's a profound truth that Jesus says. It's to your advantage. The Holy Spirit within you is better than you having me next to you. Because the Holy Spirit can be with us individually and collectively on a global scale. And it's better to have him within us. And I don't know, like, I hear that, like, Jesus, man, it'd be pretty nice to have you next to me. You know, if you're having a bad day, and he's like, hey, cheer up, and you're like, I feel better already, right? You have a headache, he's like, headache, be gone. You're like, oh my gosh. Your dog gets hit by a car, and he can, like, resurrect your dog. Your cat gets hit by a car, and he does the funeral for it. You know, I'm not a big cat guy. But just the idea of, like, How Jesus could beside us goes, that would be so profound, that would be so powerful, but here's what he says, the Holy Spirit within you is greater. That's your advantage. That's your benefits. That there is this promised church, listen, that we are not to do this alone. That I don't want to ever try to send someone out without just this time of seeking the Holy Spirit, this time of having the Holy Spirit within us. You know, Arthur W. Pink said this, Oh, my readers, face the solemn fact that the greatest lack of all in Christendom today is the absence of the Holy Spirit's power and blessing. I mean, this is the biggest thing we might be missing out on. It's just the power of God's Spirit within us. If you've ever been sharing the gospel with someone and you feel like this is getting nowhere, or maybe you've had those times where you're going, Lord, I just need you. I need your words. I need your heartbeat. I need the right the right attitude and my approach to this, and you feel like the Spirit just shows up in those moments, those are profound moments you go, I could not do this without the Holy Spirit. I would never want to make disciples apart or without the Holy Spirit. That Jesus says, it's good that I'm going away because I'm going to send you the helper of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you've heard this quote, but um, A.W. Tozer, who writes a lot about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, he said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% Ninety-five percent of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, ninety-five percent of what would, what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. It's a humbling thought. If the Holy Spirit was taken away from the Book of Acts, everyone would know the Holy Spirit's not here. Because, but if He was taken away from the church today, the modern church today, no one would know the difference. Because we can do it in our own strength. We can do it in our own effort. We can do it in our own cleverness. And church, let us not be that church. That's why when we talked the first week, we're saying, listen, we're going to double down on prayer. That's because we need God's presence. We need the Holy Spirit, man. We don't want to do this without him. We don't want to just try to play games here on on Sundays. We really truly want to walk with him and know him and experience that power that can come upon us and in us. Here's the thing. When I say do what Jesus did, I get what you're thinking because I think the same thing. But Jesus was God, right? Like do what Jesus did. You're like, yeah, but just sorry, that's that's God. Like that's sometimes my go-to and maybe that's something we've, like that's very true. Jesus is God. But do we understand that Jesus did this ministry and work out of the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we get that when Philippians 2 said he laid aside his privileges, he too was in the flesh and he too needed the Holy Spirit to come upon him? That in Mark 3, verse 17, when Jesus was being baptized, and you know it says this heaven's opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, that then Jesus goes from this amazing Holy Spirit moment to where he's fasting and praying in the wilderness for 40 days and where he's tempted by Satan for those 40 days. And we see that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, goes through crazy temptation, and now his ministry begins. And I I think there's this thing with all of us that we have to realize that we don't just say, well, Jesus was God, good for him, he can do that, but we too can do what he did because we have the Holy Spirit. Actually, Jesus would say this, and here's my second promise that we see, the promise of greater. Listen to this verse, John 14, verse 12. Jesus said, "Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. It just gets, gets harder. When I read this verse, I go, greater works we will do. Now, there is debate whether that means individually or collectively. I tend to want to think it means both, but I might lean towards collectively. Collectively when he says greater works you will do because I'm sending you the Spirit. So there's the promise of greater. And when I look at Jesus' three years of ministry and how many people he affected and lives were changed, and I go, but the church today you said will be greater. And I, we, that's one of those promises we have to just embrace and say, yes, Lord, I believe that, that collectively through the body of Christ and through the Holy Spirit, which fills the body of Christ, that we can see greater things done. That that was the heart of Jesus, that he would truly, we would truly do greater things There's a story in 2 Kings. If you remember Elijah, Elijah was the greatest prophet in all of Israel. And Elijah one day goes, I need to raise up an apprentice. And so he finds a guy with the name Elisha. And I know that's confusing, but he did. So he finds a guy named Elisha. And he's like, Follow with me. Like, follow me. And walk with me. And if you know 2 Kings 2, there's a day that came after walking with Elijah, his mentor. All these other prophets were going up to Elisha saying, Elisha, your, your prophet, your mentor is going to be taken to heaven today. And he's like, I know, I know, God already revealed it to me. Then he'd go to another city, it says, and it says more prophets came to Elisha and said, Elisha, your, your mentor is going to be taken to heaven today. He goes, I know, I know, God's already revealed that to me. And then Elijah at various times said, Elisha, you can go. You don't have to be with me today. And he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave your side. And then Elijah has the wisdom and discernment, and he says to Elisha, Elisha, ask, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? And so 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, listen to this verse. It says this ask what shall, what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now notice this. He says, ask, ask, what do you want? And he goes, I just want a double portion of your spirit, man. You're the most powerful prophet. I want a double portion of that. And he goes, okay, you stay by my side. That will happen. He stayed by his side. He saw Elijah taken to heaven and received this double portion of the spirit. And this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus would do in the early church we walk with Jesus, we're with Jesus. Jesus was taken into heaven. The disciples are there. It says Elisha took up and put on his mantle, where the the disciples in Acts 2 were filled. The Holy Spirit came upon them and overwhelmed them and covered them. And now they're ready for ministry. Now they're ready to go out. And Jesus said this in John 14, 12, greater things you will do. That it's it's not just meant for us to be seated here, and this is enough, but to send us out. That there's a collective greater that's happening. J.D. Greer, one pastor, said about this verse, John 14, 12, because we struggle with it. Here's what he said about this. He says, Shifting from seeding capacity to sending capacity entails a fundamental shift in how we think about the mission of the church. Jesus' vision of the church, the kind of church that would besiege the gates of hell, did not consist of a group of people gathered around one anointed leader, but multiple leaders going out in the power of the Spirit, it's a claim that very few of us have taken seriously. Jesus literally said that a multiplicity of spirit-filled leaders would be greater than his earthly bodily presence. And then he goes on to say, of all the miracles in the book of Acts, 39 out of 40 of them were done outside the church. I love that last part. Out of all the miracles you read in the book of Acts, they're never really taking place in the church. They always help and happen out that Jesus promised the collectivity, the multiplicity of, of just the church gathering together and then being sent out would be a greater presence because it's like sending out multitudes of little Jesuses out into the community who are filled with the Spirit, who are seeking to bring God's will done to earth as it is in heaven. That, that is the, the desire that is happening there. And he goes, man, all of the miracles, 39 out of 40 took place outside the church walls. That if you want to see the hand of God move and you want to see those things happen, you have to leave these walls and you have to go. And you have to engage with this kind of idea and mindset. So when Elijah said to Elisha, ask, ask, Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 11. Jesus says, ask. Let's read this. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who, say the word, to those who, to those who ask him. So Elijah says, ask. Jesus says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit? You know, I, I used to really complicate this early on in my Christian life. I used to go, okay, God, I get that I'm saved by grace through faith, but how do I get the Holy Spirit? And he goes, but the same way you're saved by grace through faith. You confess, you believe, you ask. You say, Jesus, forgive me. I I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. And you're saying, I ask you to fill me with your presence. And he goes, and just ask for the Holy Spirit. Like, God's not trying to complicate this or make this difficult. He goes, if you know that I give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you just ask? Just ask that church that we want to do that today. We're going to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. to just overwhelm us because we want to go into our community, not in our own strength and not in our own power or might, but by God's Spirit. But we want to join him in that work. Listen, this is Jesus' promise, and his last promise is his presence. It's in Matthew 28, and he just says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There is this idea of like the promise of the Spirit, the promise of greater, the promise of my presence. Do we not understand that we're never sent out alone? That we're never just sent out in our own strength and our own cleverness. That God's like, I'm with you, the Spirit's with you, greater things you will do. These are the promises Jesus gives us when it comes to doing his will. His will that we are not left alone in this. And here's my last thing. It's, it's number four is this. We see Jesus' plan. All right, are you, here's Jesus' plan. Ready? It's you guys. When it comes to Jesus' plan, he's like, ah, It's you. It's kind of weird. Like, look around. When you look around, it's like, wait, this is God's plan? Like, I'm a little nervous. Like, when you look around, but this is true. This is Jesus saying, my plan to reach the world is sitting in this room. My plan is seeking to save the lost. The plan is right here. This is the plan. To make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Here here it is. Like, right here, this is the plan. Uh, When Jesus says, I will make you, I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you. I will make you. This is his plan right here, that you and I would be those who join him in this. Jesus would just say this in so many different ways. In in John 17, Jesus said, as you, Father, sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. In John 20, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Jesus multiple times said, Father, you've sent me. I've sent them. You're sending me. I'm sending them. The idea is that his plan is—it's—it's it's right here. He's, hes already sent us. It's not like one day you will be sent. You are sent. We have made disciples to go and be sent people to reach people who are far from God. So this is this is his game plan, and it's one of those things where like it can be almost overwhelming and intimidating. But we we look back at the promise of the Spirit and say, okay, Lord, we're not alone in this. And I look around this room and I say, God, you've given so many people different gifts and ideas, and abilities, and God, you put within them just different, unique views of things that you can use to reach people who are different than me, that are different than you. God, you want to reach multiple people on multiple levels all over. Thank you for the body of Christ that's very diverse. It's not just one way of thinking. That's not just one view of certain things that your spirit can fill and enable all of us to do and reach different people. This is his plan. So I try to write out kind of like, what, is, what does it mean to just, again, the plan? Like, what does this look like? Here's some of the plan. Number one is this. Preach the gospel. This is God's heart for us, is that we would go and preach the gospel, Mark 16 says, that we would teach the way of Jesus, meaning we teach the commands of Jesus, the sayings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, that we would love our enemies, that we'd bless those who curse us, we'd pray for those who use us, that Jesus, when I say do what Jesus did, here's what it means. It means to do justice, as Micah 6, 8 says, that here, oh man, he says, uh, hear what the Lord has told you, that what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, to do justice, that this is God's will for us to eat with people. And I love this, just to eat with people, to sit down, have a meal with people, sit down with people who are far from God, who don't know God, just to eat with them. Uh, What else does he want us to do? To have conversations, to allow interruptions, to meet people where they're at and to engage with them, Uh, to live missionally. That Jesus, that John 1 14 talks about this, that he moved into the neighborhood, like he took on human flesh and he walked among us, that we would live with this mindset. This is an everyday thing. And lastly, that we just simply model the gospel, that we would not just preach it or teach it, but that our lives would model it. Here, here's what we're saying. We say, do what Jesus did. Hey guys, eat, eat with some people, invite some people over, like live life with people, live missionally. We want us to fully engage with people in all these different ways. So here's what I want to point out. If you would just grab this. When we have our discipleship pathway, this, the hope for us is to put language to this and to say, here's what we're going to try to, to do what Jesus did. So when we say do what Jesus did, you can go to page 13. Here are some of those ways. We want to model Jesus' pattern, his posture, the promises, seeking the Holy Spirit, and his plan of saying, hey, it's you guys. It's us right here. So here's some of those things. Uh, first of all, baptism. Uh, we are going to have a baptism in a couple of weeks. I think that will be up here. I believe it is the 25th. Yes, at 2.30. I had to remember that. 25th at 2.30, we're doing a baptism. If you've never been baptized, we're told to teach the ways or the commands of Jesus and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to do this on October 25th. Uh, and we'd love to have you be a part of this. If you've never been baptized, would you please pray about that and what that looks like? This is a command that's given to us. It's a command given to every believer. We'd say, be baptized. Join us this day. Um, next is this, serving. You know, we talked about how we're going to two services. Listen, we do need help. We need lots of help. in a sense, our volunteers are being cut in half to serve at one of two services. So we need to like double, double our volunteering. Now we're so blessed to know that we have about a hundred people that serve. That's amazing for our, that's like the size of our church. So basically all of you are serving and we're kind of saying, is there anyone else who's not? Like we need some help when it comes to this. And there's different ways you can do this, obviously through kids ministry, through hospitality through maybe worship, production, setup, teardown. tear down. There's a lot of things, but we'd say, would you pray about serving? Would you pray about girding yourself with that cloth and washing each other's feet as Jesus mentioned to us? Obviously, there's ways like giving. Uh, things we want to talk about next on page 14 is just local outreach. Um, there's some things we're planning on doing this next year. This is for 2021 primarily, but we have an FAU outreach in mind. If you are an FAU student, Uh, would you please see our table in the back we're trying to get some information of who attends FAU. so we have we have a couple things we're trying to do and partner with on that campus Um, there's some local clubs that we're trying to get just build relationships with there's some things our deacons are working on we're trying to get better relationships with the community and so just some local outreach that way Um, if our city is doing an event we're trying to do events with them so maybe it's a fourth of july event or martin luther king jr parade when our city does an event we want to join with them come alongside them And just be a light there and help them so we're gonna be doing some local outreaches Um, next we're gonna do something called Love South Florida which is simply every month we're gonna try to have some sort of outreach on a Saturday morning whether that was through the city maybe that will be the thing for that month or we're gonna organize our own thing we did this last year we kind of did some car washes for the community and sent some people out into uh, just the different neighborhoods or old folks homes we're gonna try to be a part of this once a month just kind of keep your ears open when it says here on page 15, doing justice, we just want to mention the ministry partners we have. Um, four kids, obviously being one of them, Compassion, Firewall, um, Heart to Heart, which is like a, an elder care ministry, Be the Bridge, which is like a Christian ministry to deal with racial reconciliation. These are ministries we've given to and will give to. These are ministries we're looking just to partner with long term, and we're not sure what that will look like. We're still developing that. Um, we're in that early on process. So those are some of those things. Missions. We're not sure what missions will look like in 2021. But potentially going to Haiti in the spring or summer. Um, there's some missions that we're trying to look at, like long term, to truly be a blessing there. And then just whether we talked about leading, how we can we lead in these different ways or capacities? And, and here's the thing we don't want anyone to just get overwhelmed by this. We, we wanted to slow this down, even though I feel like there's a lot here. We just want you guys to take some time and read through this. Thinking, God, where's my role here? How can I fit in? Maybe it's teaching one of our classes, like we talked about week two of Learn from Jesus, maybe it's serving here on a Sunday. Maybe it's joining us on the Saturday outreaches. Our hope that this would just be a tool or a way to build spiritual just fruit in our lives, that this would spiritually form us as we give ourselves to this. Our heart is to live missionally, to not just do missions once in a while when I feel like it, but we have that mindset. As soon as you leave here, if you go to Duncan next door, to like have that mindset of who can I love, who can I talk to, who can I pray with? We want to just take on this mindset. So it's not like a every other week or once a month thing that we truly embrace this. Now, lastly, you know, you're going to see on the right side of the last page, there's support to the pathway, meaning we're going to try to do events, some ways to meet our community, some fun things. Um, we're going to have some trainings. We do team nights. We try to train our people up to do it well. Uh, we're taking a trip to Israel. Like we said, these are, just like, these are just kind of support to the pathway. The hope of doing this was to kind of put language to what we're doing. To not just do things kind of flippantly or do things without thinking through it or praying through it, but to say it's going to be under this be with, learn from, Do what? That is our hope in this. So here's what I want to say and end with lastly. There's a lot here, and it can be overwhelming. And I don't want you to hear, do what Jesus did and miss the whole point of first be with him and first learn from him, and do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, and do it with the person, and seeking the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to give some room and time just to pray, to worship. And guys, I would ask that you slow down and say, Spirit, fill me. We have not because we ask not. We, we have not because we ask amiss. And I always say, God, purify my desires. So I just ask for the power of the Spirit, that I would truly be filled to go into the world to make disciples. That just like Elisha did, all he did was ask, give me a double portion. And Jesus said, just ask, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? So I want to read a verse, and we're going to pray and worship. So here's the verse. It's Matthew 9, verse 37. We know this. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Listen, as we worship and as we pray, I'm going to ask you to do, do me a favor. Say, Jesus, send out laborers into the harvest, and I know I might be praying for myself right now. I would just ask that you pray that. Jesus, send out laborers into the harvest, and it might mean me. It does mean me. So, would you fill me? Would you prepare me? Would you help me be ready? I don't want to do this with my own strength, I don't want to do this with my own power. And I'm just going to ask that as we kind of just play a little bit instrumentally and as we go into song, but would you just take a second to stand, to get alone, maybe pray with someone next to you, that someone you came with, just pray over them and say, Lord, fill them, use them, fill me, use me. And just kind of in this move, I want to turn this into just like a prayer service. So I'm asking that we would truly do what Jesus said, that we would pray to the Lord of the harvest. Notice what Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, so therefore go. He doesn't say that. He says, The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few, so therefore pray. So before we go, we pray. So I'm gonna ask that you guys just take a second. I'm gonna pray really quick. If you wanna stand, you wanna sit, you wanna pray someone next to you, I'm just gonna ask for the next couple of minutes that you just pray and say, Lord, fill us, fill me. We don't wanna do this without you. We don't wanna try to love our neighbor without you. We don't wanna try to forgive someone without you. We don't wanna try to reach and save the lost without you. We just need you, we need the Holy Spirit. We don't wanna do ministry where if he was taken away, we'd never notice. God, let there be power. We don't come in speech, but we come in power. So why don't you just, again, right now bow your head and close your eyes. If you would just kind of open your hands up for a second. Swear out. I just want to pray over you. And, and I'm going as soon as I say amen, keep praying. And you talk to the Lord personally and privately. So pray this. Or I'm gonna pray this over you, then you just pray after me. But Father God, would you just fill me? God, I ask that you would just fill everyone in this room. That we would be people who are truly, truly committed to the gospel. That God, we would not play games. That we not just go through the motions. Jesus, I ask that everyone in this place, those who ask personally, those who believe in their heart, that they would just ask for your spirit, Jesus, would you fill them? God, would we go in authority? Would we go in power? Would we go realizing that, Jesus, you've already sent us? You've already called us. So, Lord, I, I ask that there be a sense of just purpose as we leave this place, as we just walk forward in faith, even in two services, God, that you provide the the volunteers, you provide the way to meet those needs. Jesus, we cannot do this without you. We do not want to do this without you. So God, would you just fall in this place as we continue to pray, as we continue to worship. Jesus, move in our lives, we ask in your wonderful name. Amen. And you guys just continue to pray as we just play a little worship.